have breaking news. We have confirmed a patient who tested positive for COVID-19 in Tulsa County has died. There's no good outcome here. There's just choices of, of, uh, of worse evils. And so in this case, you know, you're choosing literally between life and death. And obviously you always choose life, but, but we know that the choice of life in this case, um, you know, comes with these economic um, repercussions that are obviously going to affect a lot of people. We've made the hard decision, along with the Conscience Committee, to suspend the ceremony on the site for April 19th and to do it a, a virtual ceremony that's pre-recorded. While this is a very tough decision, we're in a we're in a very tough time, and so as a country, and so this is our part to to stop the spread and to be smart about how many people can con congregate on the site. I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and this is a new daily podcast we are launching as we continue to closely cover the coronavirus pandemic and its impact in Oklahoma. We launched a weekly podcast last month called Listen Frontier, and at some point in the future, we will likely return to that format of a weekly exploration of the stories we're covering at The Frontier. But as COVID-19 continues to spread across the country and in our state, we want to provide you with daily context and a thorough look at this evolving story. Today is Friday, March 20th. Hey, Ben. Hey, Cassie, how's it going? Good, how are you doing? I'm not bad. It's uh, It's been another long day of reporting, huh? Yeah, it's 9.30 <laughs> and we're doing a podcast, so. It's been a long day. I'm ready, though. And before we get started, hey, Cassie, why don't you uh, uh, fully introduce yourself? Sure. This is Cassie McClung, and I'm a reporter for The Frontier. So, Cassie, why don't you give us kind of a, a quick recap of where things stand right now with COVID-19 in Oklahoma? Um, positive tests. I know we had the state had its first death, and uh, you published a story today kind of looking at how prepared or unprepared hospitals and healthcare providers might be. So since we last spoke, you know, a lot has changed with COVID-19 in Oklahoma. Um, as of this morning in the health department, it looks like they're updating their data every morning at 11, I think. Um, so there has been 44 confirmed cases and there has been one death, like you mentioned, um, the patient was a Tulsa County man. He was in his late 50s, and he was believed to be the first recorded case of community spread in Tulsa. So now there's confirmed community spread in both Tulsa and Oklahoma City, and that's all just been in the last week. So a little bit about the story I ran to about hospital preparedness and kind of what the state and hospitals are doing to prepare for a possible surge of patients who are sick with COVID-19 and, you know, what they can do to prepare further. So a big message we've been hearing from state and health officials this week, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about the lack of testing in the state. There's maybe, um, I think this morning, some from the health department said there's a handful of reagents which are the chemicals needed to actually run the test um, left over to um, complete, yeah, like I said, a, hand, a handful of tests. So um, they've kind of shifted the conversation, you know. It's like, okay, we can't test people right now. There's a federal 
shortage of these reagents. Let's move on to what we can do. So the, the message this week really has been flatten the curve. And, you know, just for people who haven't heard that phrase yet, it just means to slow the spread of the virus across a longer period of time. So the hope is that um, this, the virus will put less strain on the healthcare system if all the cases don't hit at once. And to do that, health experts are just urging people to wash their hands, practice social distancing, you know, stay home. And Oklahoma is just trying to avoid the big spike in cases we've seen in other countries like Italy and China. Yeah. And and the state's largest cities, most of them have taken steps to shut down events, close restaurants and bars. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I'm sure it's a similar scene where you're at in Tulsa. I know here in Oklahoma City, I was downtown and it was the middle of the day and it felt like a ghost town. Um, you know, restaurants right. are closed. Now, I will say the day before um, I was in Newkirk, Oklahoma, a rural town in north central Oklahoma. And uh, the citizens of the town were, were out about going about their normal life. In fact, a new restaurant had opened up and uh, there was a line out the door on the on the first day. Wow. Um, what was that like? It was seeing that contrast. Well, I, I got to be honest. I mean, personally, you know, I was I wanted to go up there. I had talked to the mayor the day before, and you know, he had told me that he reluctantly had issued an emergency order, which didn't do much except for close down city hall to the public, and just kind of, you know, set the city up to receive some disaster funds if it got to that point. But he said, you know, I don't plan. I don't plan to close down restaurants. I don't. I don't even think that I can legally do it. And then he wow. mentioned that they had opened up this new restaurant. I was like, well, I got to go up there. I mean, I just got to see what, uh, what people are saying and how they're feeling. Um, and personally, for me, as someone who mm-hmm. in my family, or we're trying to avoid crowded places, you know, I'm leaving the house to do some reporting, but my wife's working from home. Um, it was a little surreal to be standing in a restaurant with people, um, thinking, you know, is this a good decision on my part? But Sure. I, you know, there were there were folks that felt like this was overblown, um, that the mm-hmm. that the panic was too much. But on the flip side, there were there were people that felt like a new restaurant had opened up in a town that, like a lot of rural communities across the state, had seen hard times, and that they wanted to support it. And the the older mm-hmm. couple that owned the restaurant had said, you know, listen, if if we if we weren't able to open and we had to be shut down the next few weeks, that would be a financial disaster for us. So it was hard not to be sympathetic on one hand, but at the, at the same time, it's, it was a little surreal to see that scene given what we're seeing in, in Oklahoma city and Tulsa. And I think, right. Cassie, the thing that's really striking to me, and I think this really set in when I talked to um, mayor Clark in Norman uh, a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. And I think she was the first city or she was the first mayor to shut down restaurants in her town in Oklahoma. And the thing she said me was like or told me was you don't need a crystal ball to know what's coming. You know, we saw it in China, in Asia, in Europe and Italy. It hit the coast and it's coming. And I think there's this this kind of feeling that from some that, well, we'll see if it gets that bad. And I'm not a health expert, Cassie, but I just if it feels pretty certain that it's going to get get worse. Uh, I mean, that's that's what we're hearing from health health officials here in Oklahoma, right? Right. And that's why you know, cities like Tulsa and Oklahoma City are trying to get ahead of that and close things down early. So we don't have to see how bad it gets. You know, in your story, you talked about the state having 210 ICU beds, 
almost 1,500 surgical beds that could be upgraded, 522 ventilators. Um, unpack that a little bit. Is that a lot? Is a little? How, how prepared are we on that front? Yeah. So um, earlier this week, Govan, Governor Kevin Stitt acquired hospitals and clinics across the state to every day report to the health department resources like their number of hospital beds, ICU critical beds, um, how many ventilators they have, how much personal protective equipment they have on hand, such as surgical masks and personal protective equipment across the world. We've been seeing a really big shortage on as healthcare workers are trying to protect themselves from getting the virus. So the health department every day, they're supposed to be sending a report kind of with all of this information condensed to the governor's office. And they're still trying to put that report together, but I did get some preliminary numbers from the governor's office this evening. Um, so, and these numbers could change as, you know, people are discharged from hospitals, people come into hospitals, maybe more hospitals start reporting their numbers because this is a new process. But as of this evening, we had, um, the state had 210 ICU beds and 1,450 surgical beds that could be upgraded to ICU beds if there is a dire need for more capacity. And the state had 522 ventilator machines. And um, for people who don't know, COVID-19 is a respiratory illness. It's a virus that attacks your lungs. So ventilators, what those do is they help patients breathe. And they really, they can be the difference between life and death for those who have really severe respiratory effects of the coronavirus. So those have been, you know, just a really big part of the discussion nationwide in trying to combat coronavirus, treat it in patients. Um, but, you know, healthcare workers are saying, just to give you a little bit of context about whether Oklahoma's healthcare system is prepared for a sudden influx of patients. It's hard to say, but there is some worry among doctors in the state. Um, one doctor said um, on earlier this week during a media briefing at OU Medicine Center that, you know, if we do have or Oklahoma has a big surge in patients that, you know, there wouldn't be enough beds, we would have to somehow increase our capacity to care for people. So that's why healthcare professionals, state officials have really been pushing that message of, like I said earlier, flattening the curve. Because the goal isn't, in, you know, some people, when they think of isolation and, you know, social distancing, they might think, oh, that's not, you know, that's not going to work. We can't stop this virus completely, but that's not the goal. The goal is to slow it. So we know it's going to spread. But the goal is to make that spread happen a little bit slower so that way there's more space between people who might need to be hospitalized. Yeah. You know, that's one thing that I thought about a couple of days ago when I was in Newkirk about the fact that a lot of our rural communities have seen hospitals close, uh, a shortage of mm -hmm. doctors and medical staff. You know, it's one thing for the resources to be enough in cities like Oklahoma City and Tulsa, if they are enough. Um, but I just kept thinking about if this hit rural communities pretty hard, what that what, what, what would that look like? And, and speaking with some healthcare officials said that would require transportation, and that's not as easy as it's, it sounds, and it puts a strain on the system. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I haven't, you know, had the chance to talk to a lot of rural doctors yet, but I have gotten some messages from rural clinics telling me um, how hard it is right now for them to get protective 
personal protective equipment for their staff, like gowns, surgical masks, gloves. And they just can't get it anywhere. And then another interesting thing, um, you know, you mentioned rural hospitals closing down. Uh, Governor Stitt actually mentioned possibly reopening some of those hospitals to utilize for bed space if needed down the line. Yeah. So the state is looking at these different kind of, I guess, innovative approaches. Um, the governor also mentioned utilizing fairgrounds, utilizing the Tinker Air Force Base, um, putting up tents for bed space. So there has been a lot of thought that's gone into that. And I know that doesn't really answer your real question, but it kind of does go back to it a little bit. Yeah. Well, you talk about Governor Stitt. Less than a week ago, uh, a lot of attention was on Governor Stitt, locally, even nationally, because, uh, you know, of a tweet. Uh, you know, I wrote about it for us about him going to a packed Oklahoma City food hall. And, you know, he said, hey, it's packed in here. Oklahomans are, you know, are going out to eat. And But now, fast forward a few days later, man, it feels like a few months later, he's, he's urging yeah. Oklahomans to not go out to eat. Now, he's not enacted an order. Um, and, uh, mm -hmm. our, you know, our colleague... Uh, you know, Clifton wrote today about some cities that are are remaining or keeping their restaurants open are basically saying, hey, the, I, I kind of read some of the comments from city city officials and some of these other towns saying if the governor wants us to shut down, he needs to do it. He needs to order us to do that. So mm -hmm. we haven't got to that point yet. But the governor has kind of really come full circle in, in less than a week. Right. I mean, he's urging Oklahomans to to stay away from crowds, to stay away from restaurants and bars. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, a, so a lot has changed from our state leaders uh, in just a matter of a few days. Definitely. He has, you know, switched his tone. It seems like, you know, almost overnight, I think when, um, you know, we start seeing community spread and I think, you know, I think there was this realization that, you know, this is real. This is in Oklahoma. It's not just something, you know, that's far away that's not going to affect us. So I have seen uh, that tone shift quite a bit, I think. And another interesting thing, you know, you mentioned, you know, Clifton reporting on, you know, those more rural communities who that don't want to close down bars and restaurants. And, you know, being a conservative state, I think people really value their freedom and i think they view you know closing bars closing restaurants as encroaching on that freedom so mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting to see you know if there is a change on that just as we've seen in governor's or mayor Holt. yeah well and later on in this episode i'm going to play an excerpt from an interview that uh, our editor dylan had with uh, oklahoma city mayor david holt and he talked about that decision to close down restaurants and how it was a very difficult mm -hmm. decision i mean if you're you know sure. that when you know that when you're doing that, you're going to cost people jobs. And we're gonna, you know, there's gonna be restaurants that don't open, reopen because of this. I mean, let's right. hope that's not the case, but that just seems to be the, the kind of conventional thinking here. But that's that's the steps, and that's where we're at. Um, Kathy, it just feels like right. we are like, you know, in the middle of the country, and it it has it hit on the it started on the other side of the of the world, and it you know it's hit. The, it just feels like it's closing in, right? I mean, I just kind of have this feeling, mm -hmm. and I'm sure a lot of Oklahomans do as well. Yeah. It just it just feels kind of really suffocating right now. How how are you feeling? It does. Um, you know, the same. It's it's you know, it's so no one I don't think has ever dealt with something like this before, and you know, reporting on it at the same time, it's like I'm living and breathing this virus. So it's, you know, from when I wake up to when I go to bed at night, 
I'm thinking about coronavirus. So it is, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty and you just want to, you know, be optimistic and try to be kinder to your neighbor than you would maybe, you know, before this all happened. And it's just, it's, it's put some things in perspective for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, before we wrap up and I gave you a heads up, I was going to ask you this question um, and, I'll, and yeah. I'll give an answer as well. Tell me, tell me something good you've seen. Let's, let's kind of end our conversation on a, on a lighter note. What's something good in the world or in your community that you've seen that maybe gave you a, a smile during this uh, stressful time? Yeah, I'm glad you're asking this because I feel like, you know, I have been talking a lot about doom and gloom. So it feels good to put something positive back into the world. So um, our offices, the Frontier in Tulsa, we work at 36 Degrees North, which is a pretty um, tight-knit community of entrepreneurs. And, you know, I live, you know, around downtown. I eat downtown. I go to yoga downtown. So it's been, you know when everything closed, it's been really surreal, but something I have seen that's kind of, you know, boosted my morale is just how everyone is trying to support local businesses that have been so affected by these coronavirus, you know, shutdowns. So I've seen people, you know, they're trying to eat local more. They're, you know, going to local bookstores and a lot of bookstores now, you know, they have that curbside pickup. Mm-hmm. So people are getting innovative. And I've just seen the community, you know, like try to help each other, try to lift each other up. And I think people understand the magnitude of, you know, closing down businesses for an indefinite amount of time and kind of understand that there's a lot of businesses who can't survive that. So I think people are just, you know, they want to help their community and they want to see people make it to the other side of this, you know, with their livelihoods intact. So that's been, for me, that's, that's been a good thing to see. What about you? Have you, what about you in Oklahoma city? So my answer tonight is going to be cowboy Tim. Do you know who cowboy, do you know who cowboy Tim is? I don't. Okay. So he's actually not a cowboy. He's a security guard, but so the national cowboy museum here in, in Oklahoma city um, I guess as they've as they've shut down like every other museum and their staff has is, is going home and working from home. Uh, Tim, who is the head of security for the Cowboy Museum, has been given the Twitter account for the museum. And okay. he, so uh, a couple days ago, he said, hello, my name is Tim and I'm head of security. And I've been asked to take on the additional duties of managing social media. And it is him taking photos in the museum uh, and, and kind of showing interesting tidbits, but it is a, it, so yesterday he, t- he tweeted, he said, Twitter, t- uh-huh. Twitter tips, please. That's all it said. And then moments later he said, sorry, thought I was Googling that. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> and, and it's just like, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's kind of warming my heart and to, to watch this. Uh, I don't know who Tim is, but it seems like a very sweet man. And, it's just, yeah. So, and I don't mean I'm, I'm not making fun of him at all. It's just this very kind of innocent use of Twitter and a time right now when social media wow. is can very easily be a cesspool, especially, you know, these days. Oh, um, absolutely. There's a there's a video of him showing the uh, 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 Woody and the other characters from Toy Story because, you know, Woody was a cowboy uh-huh. and he is showing video of him and he, he moves the camera away and then he moves it back real quick to try to catch them in life. I mean, it's just a really like I just. <laughs> It's hard to describe, but I would I would encourage people to to follow the National Cowboy Museum on Twitter. Their handle is oh. 
at NCWHM. Or you just type in Cowboy okay. Museum. But so do that do that, WHM. Yeah. I just now followed it and I am scrolling through it right now and it is it's bringing me life. Yeah. So Yeah, Cowboy Tim, <laughs> really a security that. guard, but uh, yeah, so that's that's bringing me some uh, um some happy moments in in my day, but let's, yeah, uh, let's simple and yeah, yeah. No, that's a good one. Well, Cassie, thanks for your time. Uh, of course, thanks for having me. Find some moments to get some rest. Keep up the good work, and we will we will talk again you soon. Too. All right, I will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. All right, take care, Ben. All right, you too. There's so much news out there about the coronavirus, and multiple outlets in Oklahoma are doing a great job. The Frontier has several stories from just the past 24 hours, which you can find at readfrontier.org. One of those stories is one I filed from the town of Newkirk on Wednesday. I spent some time at a new sandwich shop that had just opened the day before and talked with residents of this rural town about why they felt safe to go about their normal routine and eat out while some of the state's largest cities had closed restaurants and bars. I also spoke with Newkirk Mayor Brian Hobbs, who told me nothing could make him shut down the town's restaurants. He didn't even think he had the legal authority to do so. Here's a clip from that interview, which was conducted inside the new sandwich shop in Newkirk. What would it, like for you as a mayor of Newkirk, what would it take for you to be like, you know, we gotta shut down? I mean, what would that? I don't know that I have the authority to shut anything down. This is America. I served in the, in the Army, and, and I swore an oath to the Constitution of the United States of America. I don't believe that the government has that the right to restrict him from coming into this place at any point in time. Not for him, but I mean, like, for them to be open, like you see in Oklahoma City and Tulsa. I don't, again, I don't believe that we have that authority. If he wants to frequent this place, that's up to him, because he, he's the one who potentially could die. I would strongly suggest not to do something, but what we're seeing... And, and the scary part to me is this, especially, like I said, as a vet, as, as, a, as a person who, who swore an oath, the, the frightening part to me is the fact that they're doing a test run of what they can get away with in, in a martial law, communist ideal, you know, idea. I, I, I won't support it here. And they may have to, you know, if it gets that bad, they may have to remove me, and I, and I get that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'd rather... I'd rather, I trust my people, you know, I trust the people that I grew up with, I, I, we know each other. I don't, we don't have people putting each other in harm's way. And if Kevin gets sick, Kevin's gonna self-quarantine, so am I. You know, what if the worst happens and you do see a bunch of spread in Newkirk, that, that, that they would say that that position is, that you were partly to blame. I know, do you, do you no, feel you're right. Up? If I come out and say, we're locking everything down, and people are going to be angry. If I say, go do whatever you want, and one person dies, they're going to, I'm going to get that hung around my neck. And this is a microchasm of what you know we're dealing with on the state level and national. And I'm okay with hanging that around my neck because I trust my people. And, and I understand other places, Oklahoma City, Moore, um, Tulsa, Broken Air, you've got a lot larger populations and it's going to be a lot different. And I'm not saying that it's legal for them to do what they're doing. I'm saying 
those people are going to deal with they what they're going to deal with, and I'm going to deal with what I'm going to deal with politically. Um, <clears throat> you said you would get the blame from the public. Would, would you? Would you? I mean, do you think through how you might feel? I mean, would you blame yourself at all? Or uh, you, sure, of course. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody with a conscience couldn't not ask themselves that question. I've been at the Capitol a lot. They just found out yesterday that one of my good friends um, that I've been in their office. Um, there's a staffer down the hall that is being tested right now to see if they, you know, have the virus. I mean, it's just, where isn't it? Do we know who has it? Do we know who doesn't? I mean, with a, with a two-week to one-month incubation period, so I mean, find out. we could all have it right now. Yeah. I mean, and it's just one of those things. And if I get sick and I die, I hope my kids know I loved them. I hope my, 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 my neighbors and my, my people know that I loved them and I did the best that I could. I mean, that's, that's life. Dozens of cities in Oklahoma have ordered restaurants to shut down dining-in service, including Oklahoma City, where Mayor David Holt issued his order on Tuesday. Yesterday, Holt spoke with the Frontier's editor-in-chief, Dylan Goforth. Here's part of that interview with Holt, who spoke about his decision to close businesses and how he knew it would cost jobs, but save lives. So the, the order, um, you know, closing you know, restaurants down except for takeout and bars mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. When I when I talked to the to Mayor Bynum about that, he described it as like making that decision and that day leading up to that announcement as being like the one of the worst days of his life because mm-hmm. he was he knew immediately I'm I'm costing, you know, thousands of people their jobs. I mean it's just that's just the, mm-hmm. what's gonna happen as a result of this. So what was your your mindset, you know, that that day and leading up to that announcement Oh, it's excruciating um, because you're gay. You're, you know, there's that old, um, you know, what's that old uh, allegory, if that's the right word, where it's the train, uh, you know, streetcar is hurtling down the hill and you're at the, you're at the control um, and, and you, you have a choice if you, there's a, there's a fork in the track and you can, you can move the control and the car will, um, hurdle into a brick wall and kill the 20 passengers on board, uh, or it will go straight and it will, uh, you know, run through, um, you know, a crowd of, of 50 people. Mm-hmm. And and so, obviously, your choice is to is to choose the wall. And and so 20 die instead of 50. Um, you know, in this case, um, but that's an excruciating choice. That's just the, that's like the classic famous example of. There's no bad. There's no good outcome here. There's just choices of of, uh, of worse evils. And so, in this case, you know, you're choosing literally between life and death. And obviously, you always choose life. But but we know that the choice of life in this case, um, you know, comes with these economic um, repercussions that are obviously going to affect a lot of people. Um, but what you look at, in my view, is the mortality rate, you know, of COVID-19, the, even the most conservative um, estimates at this point, and obviously this has been kind of a moving target throughout this whole situation around the world, but even the most conservative mortality rate would mean thousands of people mm-hmm. dying in the Oklahoma City metro um, if we did nothing. Um, and you kind of have to do nothing or everything, you know. There's really no in-between, you know. You, you do... You do something in between, and you might as well do nothing because it's a virus. You know, it's going to spread. 
Um, and so, so you, you know, if you're looking at that and you're saying, look, I have in my control um, the ability to potentially save thousands of lives of my residents. This is the most um, foundational aspect of the obligation I took on as mayor. Um, if I can save thousands of lives, I really don't have a choice. Um, and it's very unfortunate, deeply unfortunate, that that will mean, you know, economic consequences for another group of people, um, and in a sense, all of us. But that's just the the, the least bad outcome um, that we must choose. And you can be at peace with it, I think, if you really truly understand that, you know, I didn't close the bars and the restaurant dining rooms. COVID-19 did. And um, so, you know, again, my other option was to allow people to die, and a lot of people. And that's simply uh, not a choice uh, that I would make. And, you know, it is not as if GT and I were the first two mayors in the country to do this. <laughs> you know, you're somewhat validated by the reality that – Virtually every large American city had already taken these exact same measures, and this had been recommended on Monday by the CDC. So you also had that. You know, it was, this was not a um, unique or novel idea that we had come up with. This was following best practices that had already been demonstrated around the country in our region and had been advocated for by public health professionals on Monday. So that was also, you know, certainly a part of the decision as well. But, it's, but, yeah, it's painful, and it grieves me deeply. And I actually never write my speeches other than maybe my state of the city. Um, I always speak off the cuff. But um, in both of my press conferences in regards to COVID-19, I have written them because I just think it's too important. I need to get the, the information correct, and, and I need to organize it, um, you know, as well as possible. And when I wrote that speech um, on Tuesday before the press conference, um, I wept. I mean, it was that painful. I, I knew that I didn't want to do that in the press conference. Um, I didn't think that was the right, um, you know, um, emotion to show at that time necessarily. Um, but it was very, very painful to do that. On Thursday, the Oklahoma City National Memorial and Museum announced it would not hold a live ceremony on April 19th which is the 25th anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing. Instead, the memorial is producing an hour-long show to be streamed online and broadcast on television. Here's Carrie Watkins, Executive Director of the Museum and Memorial, discussing that decision. We've made the hard decision, along with the Conscience Committee, to suspend the ceremony on the site for April 19th and to do it a, a virtual ceremony that's pre-recorded uh, local live type ceremony that still allows us to have the 168 seconds of silence and still read the 168 names and it gives us a time to pause and to remember and grateful to all of our media partners who've agreed to air that on their on their uh, television stations and social media networks and while this is a very tough decision we're in a we're in a very tough time and so as a country and so this is our part to to stop the spread and to be smart about how many people can congregate on the site. We will figure out um, how we open up the site for families to be able to come down and decorate the chairs. 
without having too many on the site at one time. And that, that is something a decision we'll make as we get closer to April 19th. But for now, uh, the April 19th ceremony will be a virtual ceremony online, on television stations, um, able to watch from your home with your family. And that'll be something we ask people to snap a picture and show us how they're remembering, hashtag we remember. And that'll be part of the ceremony to show us how people are remembering April 19th and those who were killed, those who survived, and those changed forever as we live through this very unusual year. Yesterday, the Frontier reported that State Department of Education officials believe it is likely schools will remain closed for the remainder of the school year. State Superintendent Joy Hoffmeister has applied to the U.S. Department of Education for a waiver to not issue end-of-the-year assessments to students this year. Also, Governor Kevin Stitt said he expects the state to have to tap into its rainy day fund because of an economic downturn due to COVID-19. He did not say how much he expected the state's budget to be short, but he did say he wants to minimize cuts to core services. State officials also said Oklahoma could surpass 10,000 unemployment claims by the end of the week, as 6,000 claims had already been filed as of Wednesday. That would be the most claims filed in nearly 30 years. That's gonna do it for today's episode. We'll be back tomorrow for the latest on COVID-19 and its impact in Oklahoma. You can find additional coverage at readfrontier.org. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Stay safe and healthy. I'll see you tomorrow.